This podcast episode is supported through contributions from the McFadden family and the Jack Norris estate. Hi, fellow music lovers, musicians, songwriters, and or fellow spiritual seekers. Welcome to Songs, Spirituality, and Stuff, a podcast that explores the relationship between music and faith through interviews, performances, and sometimes my own musings. I'm your host, Sean Roney. As I mentioned in the May episode, Song Spirituality and Stuff is, in part, a showcase for the music collective Sacred and Secular. One of the musicians who performs in Sacred and Secular is guitarist and singer Robin Harvey. Robin also collaborates with me on original material for Sacred and Secular, along with another musician we know, Sandy Meyerchen, who will appear in some future episodes. Robin attends Polo Christian Church, a non-denominational church in Polo, Missouri. In mid-June, I met with him in the country home north of Polo that he has shared for about 10 years with his wife, Amy. During our interview, he discussed his spiritual journey. Other topics included the sacred music he plays as part of the Bob Berger Band, an Americana music group that performs regularly at skilled nursing facilities. What what has been your spiritual journey? How did you end up a- attending the, the Christian church in Polo? That's a long story. Really long. Um, I went to a parochial school in the 70s. Uh, very legalistic, very strict. If you listen to rock and roll or dance, you're going to hell. So that laid the foundation for a lot of my aberrant and twisted ideas of what God was, what faith was, and how to live my life. Which, when you have a, a base like that that is not truthful, it creates tension in your life. It creates problems. And so, my teenage years, early adulthood, I had a lot of problems because I was coming from a, a base of misinformation instead of truth. Uh, eventually, uh, through a friend of mine, found a church called Liberty Christian Fellowship that had just started. I had about 60 people, and I had a chip on my shoulder, so I came in on my motorcycle full black leathers just to see how they would react. I figured these guys are going to freak because they were a suburban white church and I thought that'll be that. I won't have to go there anymore. They welcomed me with open arms and some of those friendships are still going on over 30 years later. So that helped direct me into a new foundation of faith that is more based on truth in accordance with the Acts Church in the early days of Christianity. So, uh, still going through re-education many, many years later, but uh, the dynamics and the paradigm shifts are generally less now for me. And is the Christian Church in Polo, is that affiliated with the Disciples of Christ, or is it a, a what uh, some would call a non-denominational Christian church. Non-denominational, basically independent. Basically independent. Mm-hmm. 
Now, when you say parochial school, we talk in a, a Catholic school, we talk in a, a, a general Christian school, or... It was affiliated with the Church of God Holiness. And it's one of those places where if your hair touches your ear and you're a guy, or your hair touches your collar and you're a guy, that's a bad thing. Or if you showed your elbows, or if the girls wore dresses that showed their knees, that type of thing. So, Then turning to the music part, how long have you played guitar, and how did you get started, and what influenced you to play? My family's been a musical family. My grandfather played in a band uh, predominantly in Caldwell County uh, prior to the war and subsequent to the war. Um, so I grew up hearing those those stories. I grew up at family gatherings where my grandfather and my uncles played guitar together. Um, they sang, and my grandmother sang with them. So that was my history on my mother's side. And my grandmother taught me my first three chords. I remember sitting on the front porch of my uncle's house, and my grandma showed me that. And uh, the rest is history. I've got my grandfather's 1947 Silvertone electric guitar, which was the first electric guitar in Caldwell County. He bought it right after he got back from the war. And I now own the fiddle from the fiddle player in that band from so many years ago. I just happened upon it. Bob Berger had it. A friend of his had it. And when I found out that Bob had a Stradivarius copy, that's what it turned out to be, um, that had been in Caldwell County that long, I knew it was the same fiddle that was in the band that my uncle, or that my grandfather played in. Be because you mentioned Bob Berger, that leads into my other questions, obviously. Talk about how you got involved with the, the Bob Berger band and, and just kind of talk about the ensemble in, in general. Well, Bob goes to the church that I go to, the Polo Christian Church, um, and he and some friends of his have been playing around at different venues for a number of years and found out that I played guitar, asked me if I wanted to sit in on a practice, and I, of course, did, because anytime I could do that, I would. And um, after that, they just kind of expected me to show up when they performed, too. So I was kind of infused by expectation into the band and uh, which was a big learning curve for me. I grew up on rock and roll. Uh, I did listen to country in the early 70s. Didn't really play much country but you know, I grew up in the era of the Eagles and Boston and Ted Nugent and uh, those were my guitar heroes. So I'm playing with Bob and his group and they're playing music from uh, the 40s, the 50s, 60s. They had Lefty Frizzell, Bob Wills, uh, you know, the like of that. And it's a simple, uh, I would call it a simple type of music compared to some of your classical or rock and roll type arrangements. But in one aspect, it's nothing but simple. 
because the more you put into it, the more it layers, and the more richness you get out of it. So I'm I'm forced to learn these these ancient songs that tell a story, and you know that's really what it's about is telling a story, getting a story out there. Um, it's not so much some of the pop music nowadays that really doesn't tell a story, but you know, like Long Black Veil, the whole story behind Long Black Veil, and uh, Folsom Prison Blues, things like that, that really hit at the heart of a person's being, you know, the emotion, the feeling, the, the situations you find yourself in that generally are relational in nature. And, and I know from the few times that I've, I've sat in with, with Bob Berker Band, when they played at, at Cherokee Nursing Rehab in Richmond, that occasionally you do some, some, some sacred songs. Bob, I think, sings How Great Thou Art. That's one that comes to mind. What, what are some of the other hymns and, and spiritual or sacred songs that, that you all play? Um. Fuzz plays a song, I think it's called Little Church on the Hill, something like that, but it is a, a wonderful little ditty that just talks about a country church and how that gave him a, a great foundation for life because of the simplicity of the faith, the simplicity of the people, and I'm not talking simplistic as in stupid or ignorant. But just, let's not complicate it. Because there's no reason to complicate it. Life, just as it comes, can be complicated enough. So why should we make it any worse by overthinking things or being over-anxious about things? And, you know, Christ said, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough problems. Just, you know, accept and be thankful for the day that you have that you live in this moment. And... You talk about people living in the moment. And there you go. Christ says, you know, right here, right now, this is what's important. Not next week, not tomorrow, not next year. This is what's important. Because guess what? This is the moment you have. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You have this moment. Enjoy it. But, you know, so Little Country Church is one of those. Uh, one of them that I really enjoy playing is... Judy's rendition of Amazing Grace because when she sings it I hear blues riffs in the background which I do. I don't sing the song with them. I play the blues riffs in the background because I, you know blues has such a, a home for me and adding it and turning it around into a, a blues piece is, is something I really enjoy. Now who are who are Fuzz and who is Judy. Um, and, and, and who, who is Judy? Judy and Fuzz are uh, part of the Bob Berger band along with Sandy, myself and um, I can't remember his name. Talk about brain fart. Um, and Sandy, of course, is Sandy Meyerchin. Yes, Sandy Meyerchin. What's Fuzz's last name? I couldn't tell you. Ah. I've known Fuzz for years, and all I've known him as is Fuzz. The same with Judy. 
I've known her for 10 years, and it's funny how you can get to be so close with people. You call them by their first name, and you don't really think about their last name. Yeah, So that's interesting. But, but I've played with these people. Uh, Fuzz started playing banjo, and uh, now plays guitar, and F uh, Judy sings, and uh, for life In what ways would you say that your faith, your developing faith, helps to inform or, or shape the, the music that you, you play, especially the, the sacred music that you play with the Bob Berger Band? That's an interesting question because that's one that uh, my wife, who is an artist, and several of my artist friends and I have discussed. Uh, we Before we moved up to the country, we would have what we call artist gatherings. It might be 50 people, it might be 150 people at our home to share, discuss art, whether it be the spoken word, musical, paintings, photography. Um, and my wife and I came to the conclusion, you know, the whole idea between this is secular music or this is secular art and this is Christian art. We go, well, what makes it Christian art? The reality is that we, we feel that we've discovered is if you're a Christian and you're making art, it's Christian art. Because what you are is something that you invest into your art. Whether you're playing a guitar, whether you're making a painting, whether you're writing a story, it doesn't matter. Because what you are is the foundation from whence that art grows forth from. So if I am, you know, I, for years I was a professional photographer. If I am taking pictures of bags of Cheetos or someone's dog or a beautiful portrait of a beautiful woman, I, coming from my, my foundation of faith, that's Christian art. It's not what you consider Christian art in the public square, but it is because of where it came from. And that's another thing uh, in the tension created from the legalistic school I went to, where, you know, all the music that was played was played in a major key, no minors. Because minors are the devil music. You know, B flat. Oh, that's devil music. Um, and you know what? It's not. There's nothing inherently evil about a B flat. There's nothing inherently evil about an A minor. You know what? There's some beautiful music built around those. And it adds an extra dimension, an extra depth to the meaning, the soulfulness of that music as far as I'm concerned. With, with Bob being... Is he 90 years old or is 89? He's 90 now. He's 90. He's 90. Are, are there plans for the ensemble to carry on when Bob can no longer carry on? We, Sandy and I have discussed that. Um, and I'm not sure that we've come to any kind of conclusion. We enjoy what we do. But Bob is really the cornerstone of that band 
because he, he, you know, he's the founder. He's been playing violin oh, longer than a lot of people have been alive. At 14, he's, his teacher and his parents told him he was going to go to Juilliard because the teacher, his violin teacher said, I can't teach you anymore. You've got to go to Juilliard to learn anymore. Bob had other ideas. <laughs> you may want to talk to him about that. It's pretty funny. But, uh, so Sandy and I, I don't believe we've reached a conclusion. And if we did something, it would probably be um, not labeled the Bob Burger Band. Because Bob is Bob. And if Bob's not there, it's not Bob. But we, uh, we would enjoy doing things in memory of him. But he's not dead yet, and uh, he's raring to go again. So his health is, is still decent enough to where that he can play? Decent I enough. I know I talked to him yesterday. He uh, said he was getting ready to have cataract surgery so he can see better. He's been having some issues recently. But other than that, he's good to go. And he's been calling me saying, oh, well, the village wants us back, and they're telling us they're missing us, and, and shirkies, and everybody's chomping at the bit to have us back playing. And um, so I know Bob's ready. While I was an undergrad at Central Missouri State University, now the University of Central Missouri, I sometimes listened to Marion McPartland's piano jazz on National Public Radio. I liked the segments where Ms. McPartland performed with her guests, and I feel inspired to incorporate that idea in my own way into this show. So when Robin Harvey and I met, I wanted to see if he would perform a short duet. He graciously agreed. I also wanted to see if I could teach Robin a song. Something prompted me to see if we could work up an instrumental arrangement of Ode to Joy, a hymn we sing at my home church, St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. It's commonly known that Ode to Joy is part of the finale of Symphony No. 9 in D minor, Opus 125, composed during the early 1820s by Ludwig von Beethoven, with lyrics by Friedrich Schiller. It's commonly believed that Beethoven was deaf when he composed the symphony. However, in researching the backstory on the piece, I learned that some sources claim that Beethoven had at least some hearing left. When Ode to Joy and the rest of the Ninth Symphony are performed, they're commonly presented in arrangements associated with classical music, say, an orchestra with strings or chamber ensemble, in fact, incarnations of Sacred and Secular have performed it as a chamber ensemble type of piece when playing the service music at St. Luke's. But if you've, say, listened to Pete Seeger or the Raising Arizona soundtrack, you know that Ode to Joy has been performed in some folksy type of arrangements too. Robin and I chose the folk route when we worked up our arrangement as a duo incarnation of Sacred and Secular. He played one of his six-string guitars, I played the harmonica. It came out like this.
few observations about Ode to Joy. First, until I started researching the piece for this podcast, I had no idea it was a source of controversy. As Helen Brown pointed out in a 2019 piece for Financial Times, it has been co-opted by totalitarian regimes, particularly imperialist Japan and fascist Germany, during World War II. Knowing that disturbed me, and I hesitated to include it here. So, why did you include it, you might ask? Well, there are a few reasons. One is its uses at other times in history. Those uses, as Ms. Brown noted in her backstory on Ode to Joy, have included serving as a rallying song of sorts in Chile when General Augusto Pinochet was in power, and in 1989 to celebrate removing the Berlin Wall. Musician, composer, conductor Leonard Bernstein, who once referred to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony as glorious music, directed the ensemble that performed in Germany. And, as I've discovered during my research, through the wonders of technology, musicians are performing it together while practicing social distancing because of the coronavirus pandemic. I found one moving rendition on YouTube, performed and posted by the Colorado Symphony. If you want to watch, click on the link I've posted in the description of this episode at buzzsprout.com and in other podcast directories. Then, of course, there's the music itself. Even after what must be millions of performances by now, over roughly 200 years, it's still glorious and powerful. And, as others have noted, it promotes peace, love, and the oneness of humanity. This is particularly true when the music is combined with Schiller's verse, or with the words of Henry Van Dyke's Hymn of Joy, as is the case in my church. In these uncertain, emotionally tense times, we humans need all the celebrations of oneness of humanity we can get, ranging from orchestras playing in isolation, or, in my case, two folks getting together at a country home near Polo, Missouri. concludes this episode of Song, Spirituality, and Stuff. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Roney of Sacred and Secular. Thanks again to those whose financial contributions helped make this episode possible. Thanks also to Buzzsprout for serving as the online host for this podcast. And finally, thank you for listening. Check back next month when the next episode of Song, Spirituality, and Stuff goes live. Until then, blessings to you all. Song Spirituality and Stuff is produced by Momut Music and Momut Multimedia, both imprints of Mutt Media LLC, a Missouri-based social enterprise. It is directed, edited, and engineered by Sean Roney. Unless otherwise noted, the music for Songs Spirituality and Stuff is composed by Sean Roney and performed by Sacred and Secular. The copyright for this podcast is owned by Momut Music and Momut Multimedia. Any use of this podcast without the expressed written consent of Momut Music and Momut Multimedia is prohibited.